This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for April 17th, 2020. Apple introduces the iPhone SE, issues guidance on cleaning your devices, partners with Google to track COVID-19, Zoom news, and Apple users may be targeted more than others in phishing attacks. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How, how are things over there for you, Kirk? Well, the weather's nice. The pollen is terrible. Other than that... Things haven't changed that much. Things are just going on as they've been with the same sort of apprehension and uncertainty toward the future. You know, it's going to be a little bit like that for for a while. And, uh, you know, there at least there does seem to be uh, a light at the end of the tunnel with all of this. We're, we're starting to see uh, some countries lifting restrictions and um you know in some places the curve seems to to be flattening a little bit which is which is good so all of this is good it's going to eventually get us back where where we were before but just a little wiser perhaps and more more conscious of uh you know germs and all that kind of stuff yes i certainly hope so so this week we're recording on wednesday we usually record on thursday and apple surprised us today with some new products and we're not going to talk a lot about it but they released a new iphone se i think technically it's the iphone se second generation it's essentially the body of an iPhone 8, but with the processor of an iPhone 11 Pro. It's got the latest uh, A13 Bionic chip with third-generation neural engine. That That's some pretty serious innards in this little phone that starts at $400. Yeah, and you know, I, I think what Apple's going for here, clearly with the, the price point, it seems like they're really going for that, that market of people who really want a, a good smartphone with good features, good quality, but they don't have a lot of money to pay for it. Um, and so the iPhone SE has been a great phone for that niche. Um, and, you know, this is nice to have to have an updated version of that phone. Um, not everybody necessarily needs a big screen. So 4.7 inch is not bad for, for most people. And um, one of the things that's actually kind of cool about this is, you know, everyone's wearing masks outdoors these days. And so face ID doesn't work very well when you got a mask. Exactly. So this is really the right timing to bring out an iPhone with touch ID again. Yeah. Yeah. To, to go back to that, you know, using your, your thumb to unlock your phone is not such a bad thing. Um, so, well, and plus we've mentioned before on the podcast, there's other advantages to touch ID too. Um, although, you know, it's maybe doesn't look quite as nice because it's not quite filling the screen quite as much as a, t- as, as a face ID iPhone. Um, cause you've got those, uh, what do you call those? The, the bars on the top and bottom, the, yeah, they're, I think the technical name is the bars on the top and bottom. <laughs> there, there, there's or the a, a chin bezel, in the forehead right? people sometimes the chin call in the them. forehead yeah yeah there you go um so you've got that the the chin and the uh where the the button is so some people don't necessarily like that but um you know other people find this really great because for one thing you can't 
Apple doesn't have Face ID set up such that you can have more than one person unlock your phone. Uh, unless, of course, you happen to look <laughs> a very great deal like somebody else. If you have an family. identical twin, yeah. If, if you have a twin, and even sometimes with uh, people's children, um, sometimes their facial structure is close true. enough that their kids have been able to unlock their phone. Yeah, um, that's true. That, that could be an interesting thing if you're a parent and <laughs> you don't want your kids getting into your phone. But uh, in any case, uh, Touch ID is nice because you can have up to, is it up to 10 fingerprints enrolled? I is think it right? is. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And so, um, so you could have several of your fingerprints and then one fingerprint for different family members if you want them to be able to unlock your device as well. Um, so, you know, this can be a, a really great thing for a device that's shared that you share with a, a spouse, partner, child, whatever it might be. So, some of the other specs are worth pointing out. It's only got a single camera and obviously, um, they're not selling this because of the camera, but it does have the new Wi-Fi 6. Uh, which appeared with the iPhone 11. It has 4K video. It does slow motion at, I believe, uh, let's see, 120 frames per second or 240 frames per second. It has portrait mode, which the iPhone 8 didn't. So it's got the depth control, the portrait lighting effects. So it's a it's a pretty solid phone. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking two things are going on here. One, Apple knows that sales have been dropping even before the COVID-19 problem, and they're bringing in an inexpensive phone, which is similar to what happened when they brought the original iPhone SE. Um, and the second is this was a pretty much a soft launch, just press release. None of these um, sort of, here's how magical it is. And, and I was saying to you before the show that if they release an iPhone 12 later this year, they just can't, in the current situation, talk about it being magical. They can't be showing these fancy cameras taking fancy photos in bars in night mode with crowds of people or over the uh, Grand Canyon or something. So they're going to have to change their marketing approach um, to the future. I mean, it is a little bit different right now that Apple can't really gather the press together in one location to show off a new product. And so it makes sense that they're launching things this way. Um, I mean, if they're going to launch things at all, then, you know, they, they need to shift the way that they're approaching it. They could do a presentation over Zoom to selected journalists. Sure. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, they, they could or don't they always... have their own video conferencing software. What's it called again? <laughs> FaceTime? Uh, FaceTime, right, <laughs> right. And and FaceTime can do, I believe, up to 32 people, where Zoom can do 100 or more. Yeah. And really, honestly, Apple, if they wanted to, I think that they could get away with doing um, an event just like the kind that they normally do on a stage and everything, while yeah. still having social distancing going on behind the scenes with their crew, you know, in, in the, uh, in the theater. So they, they really could still do something like that if they wanted to. Um, but it is interesting to see that Apple is choosing to just go the press release route. It works well enough. I mean, honestly, people who like Apple products, yeah, you know, they're, they're going to buy your product <laughs> regardless of how you're announcing it. So and and just to point out that that low price means that you can get it for $16.62 a month at 0% financing. So that's pretty cheap when you think about it. Yeah, actually. And and in this times of financial difficulty for a lot of people, you can get even less if you trade in uh, an iPhone that's in good condition. But that's pretty right. cheap for people to get a new phone. 
Yeah, absolutely. With, with a lot of great features too. A lot of the same features that we're seeing on the the higher end models now. So really, really not a bad deal all around. Okay. And the other new item is the Magic Keyboard, which was announced um, a month or so ago, and it's now available. Um, we'll be talking about that in the future when I get one of them, which looks like it's going to be in about a week or so. Aside from new Apple stuff, Apple has been in the news because Apple and Google are working together to make a COVID-19 tracking app. Um, the point of this is what's called contact tracing. So people will know when they're near someone who's tested positive. And this seems like it's going to be really complicated. It uses Bluetooth to tell where you are. You may remember something called Bluetooth beacons, and these were originally uh, designed so if you're in a store and you're near a particular part of the store, you can get notifications on your phone. Well, hey, there's this new Lego set. It's 20% off. And I think they're using a similar technology over Bluetooth. There are certainly going to be a lot of privacy uh, issues around this, um, and this is really a moving target be because for now we only have an announcement and some basic ideas of what's going to happen. It looks like the way this is going to work. Um, first of all, it's opt-in, which is good because a lot of people have that privacy concern of, well, wait a minute, if I didn't choose to be part of this program, I don't want them tracking me and my proximity to other people. Um, so it is opt-in, uh, which is great from a privacy perspective. Um, and then once you have opted in, there are a lot of controls in place to make sure that uh, your privacy is still protected. They want to uh, make sure that, you know, you don't have to have any concerns about, oh, is Apple or Google going to use this for any sort of commercial purposes? Are they going to use it as uh, any to advertise things to me and other things like this? And of course, um, Apple and Google both say, no, that's not at all the intention. We're going to carefully isolate this. It's not going to be uniquely identifiable. The, the data that we're collecting is not going to be uniquely identifiable to you, but we're still going to make it possible um, with, without knowing everybody's names and having that all associated with the data, we're going to make it possible for you to know whether you've been in contact with people who may have been infected. Um so this seems like a really good thing. It seems like they're they're going about this from uh, in, from the right perspective, wanting to respect user privacy while still providing a really good service and a really good research tool. Actually, this this could actually help a lot in determining how things, uh, you know, like coronavirus and and really other diseases in the future, how those things are spreading and capable of spreading. We'll have a number of links in the show notes, some discussions of how this is going to work, what it means for privacy, and even a comic that explains it, which is actually kind of useful. Sometimes comics are good ways to explain complicated things, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. XKCD is one that we've linked to before. This one is uh, uh, on a website uh, called ncase.me, and the letter N-C-A-S-E dot me. Um, and they've got a fun comic kind of explaining how this tracking stuff works, and it's pretty clever. Well, it's been pretty efficient in Singapore, right, where they've been doing this since the beginning of the outbreak, and they have a very low number of infections. So if we can roll this out in other countries, then I think it'll be a very good thing. Yeah, the difference, of course, is that some countries are 
having this as a sort of a mandatory thing where they're tracking all of their citizens and it's right. just like there's no way to opt out of it. So it is nice uh, from from the perspective of, you know, this this is something that is going to be opt in. So it's not like the government is just tracking everybody and wherever you go and being able to use that data for whatever they want. Uh, well, they may still be doing that, but at least they're not doing that in the name of you know tracking uh, uh, COVID-19. So. Well, as far as that's concerned, I'll link to a letter that Apple sent to um, some senators in the United States, which is talking about uh, some of the privacy issues. And it gets kind of complex, so we're not going to really discuss it here. If you want to know more, check the letter. I, I think also this is going to change going forward. And when it is finally available, we'll have a lot more. I'm sure both Apple and Google are going to come out and give some really detailed explanations of, of how this works so users understand it correctly. Because as much as we criticize Google for tracking people, it's clear that here, I hope they're not using this to collect data on what individuals do. I kind of think if, if they did, this would be very bad press for them. So we'll, we'll keep up to date on this as things change. Let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about, oh, we're going to do our Zoom zinger. It's going to be our weekly look at the latest Zoom security and privacy flaws. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, time for our Zoom zinger. Yeah, it seems seems like we've got to have something every week. You know, there's there's either a Google privacy story, a Facebook privacy story, and now there's Zoom security and privacy stories that we can we can sort of laugh at a little bit. Um, so the Zoom zinger for this week is that over uh, over half a million Zoom accounts. The, the login data for them was sold on the dark web. The dark web is sort of like, you know, areas of the internet where you don't accidentally stumble across it on a Google search. These are like hidden away areas where uh, the bad guys go to find, you know, things like this, uh, data breaches, uh, uh, password dumps, all those kind of things. And so that's uh, that's the latest thing that <laughs> that's going on. To be honest, um, this sort of thing happens a lot. 
um, where you you have these these big dumps of, uh, of of data. So this it is worth pointing out that this really only affects people who actually have created an account with Zoom. Not everybody necessarily has a Zoom account. Um, I I actually don't yet. Um, I thought about creating one, but then this uh, all all of the news about it has been swirling the past couple of weeks, and I thought, you know, I think I'm going to hold off on that. But uh, you can use Zoom without creating an account. And I think most Zoom users do. Um, Kirk, you were saying, how many users are there? I think there are up to 200 million unique users now, up from 10 million to 200 million in the past month. Uh, now, most of them, uh, I've been on a lot of Zoom meetings because um, we're using Skype right now. We just use Skype for historical reasons. But anytime I'm on a Zoom meeting, I just get a link that I click, I enter the meeting, and that's it. So you don't need an account to enter a meeting. I was on one yesterday. There were about two dozen people. I was on one uh, two weeks ago with 250 people. And the the advantage of not having to create accounts, and you know, there are a lot of people talking to their grandparents right now over Zoom. And if you have to walk your grandparents through account creation and coming up with a good password... Um, it's probably safer that they don't have to create accounts. Nothing against tech-savvy grandparents. There are some, but a lot of them don't know how to do these things, and they would just make up a password that would be like one, two, three, four, five, six. So in some ways, it's better to not have to make accounts. Yeah, and so those who didn't create accounts obviously are not included in this in this dump. Um, and those that have had their account information leaked, um, apparently it was the result of a credential stuffing attack. Um, we, we've mentioned this before where essentially if you have reused your password um, it, you know, in more than one place on the internet, there's a good chance that it's made it into some data breach, some password dump somewhere. And so if somebody wants to use your same username or email address with that password that you've used elsewhere, they can try reusing that on other websites. And so it seems like that's what happened here is that somebody came across a bunch of uh, passwords from previous dumps and they used those to try to log into Zoom and found a whole bunch of accounts, these you know 500,000 accounts. And, uh, and that's where this list apparently came from. Um, this is a pretty common tactic. Um, and, and this is the kind of thing that uh, you know hackers like to do sometimes to make a little money, then and then they sell these dumps on uh, on hacker forums. Okay, in phishing news, we talked last week about my friend Rob who got scammed over the phone, but phishing is still extremely popular, phishing with email, phishing with um, text messages. And Apple seems to be the brand that is exploited the most, at least as far as web-based phishing. So there, there's a company called Checkpoint, they're a security company, and they've done some research the top phishing brands per platform for email, uh, which represent 18% of attacks, were Yahoo, Microsoft, Outlook, and Amazon. For the web, which is 59% of attacks, Apple, Netflix, PayPal, and eBay. And mobile, 23% of attacks is Netflix, Apple, WhatsApp, and Chase. Now, what's interesting is when we see Apple, we're not thinking to get your data. It's more to get your money. That's why... PayPal and eBay are two of the other popular fake phishing sites. Uh, people want to get into your Apple account to access any credit you have or your credit card information. Mm, yeah, that is sort of uh, sort of interesting to see how Apple ranks in these different lists. 
But, uh, you know, it does make a lot of sense that people are targeting Apple users. I, I think a lot of people kind of still have the presumption that, you know, if you're an Apple user, then you probably are more affluent than, you know, the average person, right? Whether that's true or not, um, I, I suspect that's not as true as maybe some people might think. Especially with the new iPhone SE. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, Apple does have affordable products. They're really great. And and also even people who may be on the lower side of the income scale uh, might still find it worth it to to pay a little bit more, even if Apple products did do cost a little bit more. Or they might have older iPhones or or iPhones that have been passed down that they bought used. I mean, the lifespan of an Apple product is longer than many others. So you can use an iPhone for five or six years, even though we suggest against it when it's not getting the latest operating system. But they do last long enough that they'll stay in the channels for a lot longer than others. Exactly true, yeah. So, I mean... Interestingly, though, it does seem like there's some correlation there where maybe attackers are kind of making this assumption about Apple product users. And so they seem like a a great target, right? Um, You know, there's a lot of different uh, types of phishing attacks, um, and some of them might be in email, some of them might be in text messages. um, And as they mentioned here, also, of course, there's web attacks too, which are most of the time when people think of phishing, they think, you know, of clicking on a uh, on a link and going to a website that pretends to be, you know, that company. And th- this kind of thing actually happens a lot via email and even via text messages now. Some people uh, will get a text message saying, oh, you know, your Apple ID is locked. You know, click on this link and reset your Apple ID password. And of course, that's a scam. We we know that you should not receive something like that via text message and then a sketchy link, you know, uh, in in the text message. That's pretty suspicious. You should be skeptical if you get something like that, even if it comes in email, even if it kind of looks like it might be from Apple. It's it never ever a good idea to click on a link in one of these messages. The thing to do is to go to Apple's website. Um, not via a link, but via what, if you have it bookmarked, great, because you know that you've bookmarked the right page or you type in apple.com, you could Google, you know, uh, Apple, uh, Apple's login page, whatever you could look at some, find a safe way to actually get to that company's login page and then log in. And if you get any alerts, okay, then maybe that message you got might've been legitimate. But if not, um, you know, that probably was somebody attempting to break into your account by tricking you into uh, going to a phishing site. Or by pretending to be another company to collect your credit card information, which is another way. Particularly Netflix, I get these emails very often. There was a problem with your Netflix payment, and I'm supposed to go to the website and update my credit card information. So that's another, that's another thing that fishers are trying to do. Do we call them fishers? We call them fishermen? <laughs> What's the official term? Uh, I, I think I would use fishers with a ph. Yeah, yeah. Fisherman. That's that, that seems a little, <laughs> a little bit like you're trying to stretch the analogy a little too much. Yeah. One other bit of news that we wanted to discuss is that a couple of weeks ago, Apple came out with new instructions for cleaning your iPhone. In the past, they would tell you you could only use a soft, damp cloth, lint-free cloth, for example, a lens cloth. And now they've come out and they've put a header on the page saying, 
is it okay to use a disinfectant on my iPhone? You can use a 70% isopropyl alcohol wipe or Clorox disinfecting wipe and gently wipe the exterior surfaces of your phone. Don't use bleach and avoid getting moisture in any openings and don't submerge your iPhone in any cleaning agents. Um, now, what we don't know is an iPhone has what's called an oleophobic coating on the screen. And what this means is uh, basically oleo is oil and phobic is afraid of. So the screen is, is supposed to repel oil and not get streaks on it. Although I find that on my iPad, it does. And what we were wondering is whether these sorts of cleaning products could damage that. They do say that cleaning products and abrasive materials will diminish the coating and might scratch your iPhone. Um, so I'm a little bit hesitant about this new advice. Maybe in the past, the advice to not use an alcohol wipe was actually wrong. I use lens wipes on my camera lenses, right? And these are little, I buy them in boxes of 250 and you tear open the thing and it's got a little bit of alcohol in it. It's a soft uh, type of paper cloth and it's never damaged my lenses. You know, professional photographers use these. So I don't see any reason why this would particularly damage an iPhone, but they're saying it's okay now. So if you've been hesitant before, and you want to clean and disinfect your iPhone, then by all means do it. Take the case off. Um, the case, unless it's leather, um, you could put that under soapy water. I use a plastic, clear plastic case. Clean the iPhone completely, and you'll feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, and the reason why this is a good idea to do, and, and of course why it's being brought up now, is that uh, people tend to not really think too much about their phones uh, being a, a, a potential place where you could get germs that you might put into your face, you know, and, but really you're, you touch things all the time. You know, when you're out in public, let's say you're going to the grocery store and you're pushing your shopping cart and, you know, maybe you didn't clean off the, the handle of the cart very well. And then you go and touch your phone. Well, now you've touched a surface that might've had something on it. Uh, potentially infectious, right? And now you've touched your phone right after because you checked your shopping list or whatever it might have been. Now you've, you've put germs onto your phone. You may not have even realized it. And people use their phones all the time in all kinds of circumstances. And so interestingly, a phone is one of the uh, dirtiest surfaces probably that you touch on a regular basis, unless you are cleaning it on a regular basis. Ooh, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and people, a lot of people use their phones in the bathroom, you know, and then they wash their hands, no. but they don't wipe off their phone afterward. Come on, people. I mean, yeah. you know, you got to think about these things. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, so it's not, it's not a bad idea to clean your phone. Now, you know that there are safe ways to do it that Apple recommends. So, yeah, you mentioned shopping carts. Um, my partner went to the supermarket on Monday for the first time in two weeks. And the supermarket is surprisingly empty, but their staff is cleaning off the handles on the shopping carts and the hand scanners. We go to a supermarket where you can use hand scanners. You scan the items yourself, and then you go into a, a payment terminal and, and go out. So you don't have to go through a cashier. And they were very carefully cleaning all of that off. I guess it's a good idea to just think about doing that with your phone every time. And and when she came back, she took some of these um, disinfectant wipes and cleaned off her phone anyway. So she was very good about it. Yep. Just don't submerge your iPhone in any cleaning <laughs> agents and then you'll be fine. Yes. Okay, Josh, that's enough for this week. Until next week, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac podcast, the voice of Mac security. 
with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.